podcast, The Final Frontier. These are the conversations of the friendship Matt Myra and Andrew Secunda. Their continuing mission. To seek out old adventures with contrived civilizations. To boldly watch episodes that one of them has watched before. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Star Trek The Next Conversation, your number one podcast for Star Trek The Next Generation stuff that is hosted by me. I'm Matt. I'm Andy. And I'm not alone. That's right, Laura. You're not alone. You have data behind you in that episode. <laughs> uh, it's loaded into his evilness. It's loaded into even the one line. <laughs> <laughs> it's the tone. It's the, it's that drops it down. And I'm not alone. <laughs> I'm not alone. Like that's how. How would your? How would you play your evil twin? Uh, my like, evil uh, twin. Like so. Let's do the intro again. I okay. but now I'm hosting it with Andy's evil twin. Uh-huh. So you, first of all, we need a name for your evil twin. So I'll let you do it. You're a master of improv. And this is going to be Andy's <laughs> evil twin. Is now that's the worst thing. Yes, you know, as everyone knows, here's the premise. Improv everyone. Show, in an improv show, usually it's it's two people on stage, one demanding the other one come up with something funny. That's how improv works. And uh, well, I mean, I got to set up, I got to toss the ball. You know, sure. you're gonna hit it. I don't, I don't think you're tossing the ball. I think you're throwing the ball. Oh, I'm, I'm tossing the ball. The ball is yeah. the evil twin is co-hosting the thing. I can't. I why would sick- my evil twin be co-hosting with your evil twin? That just doesn't make All any right. sense, Andy. It would be more no. confusing for the audience that way. <laughs> Gosh. All right, let's pretend. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Welcome to Star Trek Next Conversation. I'm Matt. And I'm Secundus. And I'm going to end it no matter what it takes. Wow. Will Riker's it here. Sound like I was facing off with Will Riker. Andy's evil twin, Secundus, is here. Very exciting show for all of you. Uh, but before we get to that, of course, uh, you should all know whether or not you should watch this episode. Matt, would you have them watch this episode? There's a lot you should like in this, but I don't know. (laughs) What I like about (laughs) the forced quick reviews that I'm responsible for on the Patreon also is that we rarely give a good summation. It's sort of like, eh, it's hard to sum up in this amount of time. <laughs> That's basically yeah. what we say. I mean, it's almost <laughs> like we need to just keep playing that sound clip and I keep giving you snippets right. in the middle of it. Yeah. Like, here, here, I'll do it. Matt, would you have them watch this episode? Well, it's got a lot of engineering talk, which I usually like. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Got another one? Oh, we got All one right, more. okay. Matt. You have them watch this episode? And it's got a shit ton of spot, which Andy should like. <laughs> it really is. It's the most spotty episode. Uh, I've Certainly I've seen. I don't know if it gets more spotty in the, this last uh, I mean, I half think of that's, the season. Like, that's, this is by far, this is, this, this, this sea runner is spots. It's his Emmy, it's his Emmy show. Yeah. <laughs> This, this is, is the one they submit to try and get him in. It's like, come on, Spot has been doing, he's been doing so much great work on the show. We got to get him his Emmy. <laughs> that's, that's what Guys, we're writing is. a Spot oh, her, episode. I oh, apologize, God. her Emmy, which I I don't know is that defined up till now. Already the discussion. I don't remember. I feel like that was the first time I realized it was he was she was <laughs> uh, specified as a as a she. But I mean, you're also wrong. assuming it's an Earth uh, feline. 
you know? Could oh. be could be like a gender switching feline from Corpus Seven. Could be. You know? Corpus Seven has the most cats. Yeah. Cat Corpus cat Six, cat. no cats. No cats there. That's a dog planet. No. Yeah. Corpus eight, that's the worst one. It's birds. There's <laughs> a lot of parakeets. Corpus five, salamanders. <laughs> What I'm saying is get to the Corpus system. It's like a pet store uh, in in one star system. That's right. Okay. I'm an, I'm Corpus 9, bit. dead parrots. I did oh one more. See, that's, there's a, there's a master improviser. <laughs> I, I, quoted, I quoted another successful comedy group. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying another as though we're a successful comedy group. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Let's go to the Admirals Club. All right. Go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, and join the Admirals Club. Matt, how do they get into the Admirals Club? Well, Secundus, all they got to do is leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and you're in. And maybe you'll be lucky enough to have Andy read yours on the very show you're listening to currently. Andy, who's up? First, Chuck Lee Siv. Oh, chuckle sieve. There you go. Um, <laughs> Pun blindness. Good tea, nice house. Matt and Andy are truly the Lennon and McCartney of the podcast world. Extremely enjoyable Patreon epi- uh, uh, podcast as well. Definitely a great find if you're a Star Trek fan. They also have a healthy disco criticism, which usually gets shot down by Trek fans on other parts of the interwebs. Let's face it, disco frustrates many of us, and Matt and Andy don't mind talking about it, as well as pointing out the good points. Hope they decide to do a TOS watch. Oh, for sure. It's in the it's in the works. I don't know at what point it happens, but we're going to run out of something pretty soon, eventually. You don't I feel like maybe that's... after Enterprise? I don't know, but... Currently, it's like after we do D Space Nine, which will take us another three years right. at least. Um, maybe we oh, I do... figured that was a main pod one. You figure that you feel like that's a Patreon one? What the TOS is? Yeah, I feel like that's after DS9. I mean, they're making so much new Star Trek by now that we I might have like, enough. I feel like there'll be plenty to do in Patreon Town. Right. But, you know, I could be it's wrong. Little... I'm not good at time. What am I? Some sort of timekeeper? You think the main pod kind of covers the animated series before we go to uh, TOS? <laughs> we just work backwards. Uh, yeah. I like it. Um, any other admirals? Sure is. Uh, the world's number one Star Trek podcast I've ever listened to <laughs> uh, from Jenny Bright. Okay, it is the only Star Trek podcast I've ever listened to, but it is great. I truly enjoy listening to Matt and Andy ramble about each episode of TNG, and it's never not entertaining when a listener writes in referring to something they said in the last episode, but have absolutely no memory of ever saying. <laughs> Delightful totally. pod. That is certainly consistent. It's the thing. Uh, it's like I used to like listen to Stern back in the day. Yeah. And callers would call in and mention something that would happen on the show, like some weeks back or even a year back or whatever and I always had like a vivid memory of it and Howard was like I don't what I don't even what is he talking Robin what is he talking about like that's what <laughs> Howard would do yeah. and I would go how does he not remember this but upon doing podcast after podcast after podcast I don't know what I said yesterday at all no for, for sure it just goes it just is it is fascinating now. though to to have been on both sides and when you listen listen to other people's podcasts you're like what come on the thing 
yeah. And when you're doing it, you're like, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> Uh, to, I'm just to, living up to, here at the mic, guys. That's to, why it's so natural, and you know. If you remember, I'd have snappy. to like listen to myself, which no. Yeah. Um, and then the last one is from. Where is this from? Uh, where is this from? Where, where is, is this, this from? from? I can't find the. The I don't know. It's from in the UK somewhere. <laughs> Uh, look at me. I'm, I'm, which if you, uh, you know, we don't, for some reason, I can't seem to access the UK uh, podcast reviews. So if you're reviewing us in some other part of the world, or you know what, even on another platform, you want to send us a screenshot of it, uh, then uh, A, you're in the Admiral's Club anyway, and B, it might get rid of the podcast. Anyway, look at me. I'm the Admiral now. I started listening to the, this podcast after being redirected from Matt's James Bonding podcast. Matt and Andy have great on-air chemistry and bubble, bumble their way. I just bumbled right there. Bumble their way through a nostalgic wonderland of simpler times. I started rewatching TNG on Netflix and, to my surprise, found some episodes that I hadn't seen before. That's cool. over, pal. No more Netflix for you. Now I'm in the uh, Admiral's uh, Club. TNG is still on Netflix. Oh, it is. Yes, yep. so it is. For now. I withdraw my commentary. Now I'm in the Admiral's Club, along with all the other terrible, terrible Starfleet admirals. <laughs> uh, good work, guys. Not bad for ugly giant bags of mostly, mostly water. water. That's us. And That's it for... The Admirals, the Admirals Club. Club. Admirals. Oh no. Oh no. I just walked the in the indoor. Where is that? Where are they gotta go out the outdoor? Gosh, dang it. To the, the president's circle, so many doors are going up right now. The United Federation of Planets President's Circle. I, I, I'm not sure. I think that the president's circle door <laughs> and Andy's theories close are my two favorite jingles. No. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The other yeah, the, jingles are all fantastic, but like the ones that like are mainstays in my brain. Yeah. And earwormy kind of things. Yeah. Well, you know what? They also they both carry. Uh, the um the essence of what those things are <laughs> like the grandeur of the president circle and also and like what you, smart. and like what you picture Andy's brain to be like <laughs> going i did it <laughs> i was smart <laughs> um uh we got you know join the patreon Oh, yeah. I'm supposed to say that. I'm sorry. I got distracted by the jingles. It doesn't matter. Hey, the President's Circle, a lot of fun stuff happens there. Four extra podcasts every month, for instance. A lot of of us answering your questions. Uh, Andy and I have been discussing, uh, doing a QA and a episode in the Patreon. So there's a lot of fun stuff happening. A McCoy figure is going to be given out. It's Doctober. That's right. Or Mocktober. And next month, we're going to be giving away... The Eagle Moss XL Starship Enterprise, NCC-1701. Well, Who knows which one it'll be? 
our Christopher Pike Medal of Valor awardee yes. uh, uh, might uh, disagree with you. And and I actually had bounced exactly this idea off you. And then Bootsy Frost, Lieutenant Bootsy Frost, uh, suggested the same thing, which is November would be Ensign Rovember. So would you prefer to, uh, because we also, I don't know if it works, but I was I did come up with, Decenterprise, uh, if you want to give away your enterprise in December, or we can have that be November. I let the captain decide. Yeah. So December. wouldn't I then have to like find and locate the the lore action figure from the episode Descent for Decenterprise? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it could be that one. Uh, you know, it's, it's wide open. All right. Well, the point is, giveaways are happening for Patreon. I was saying Enterprise. Um, and uh, just a lot of fun, and Andy and I are actually going to be, believe it or not, focusing somehow even more attention on the Patreon. Head over there, find out what's going on, uh, patreon.com forward slash Star Trek TNC. That said, Priority One messages and any really good ones might get Medal of Valors. Andy, who's first? Well, that was the first one, Bootsy Frost. Would All right, you, Andy, who's sick? Do you want to make the call about whether you want Rovember or you want to give away your uh, your Enterprise? Oh, boy. I mean, I was just looking to clean up some stuff around the house, but because sounds like Rovember has it. As long uh, as you're going to argue s- with a punt. I mean, the, certainly whatever Rovember things that I collected are not going to be as nice as whatever you're Wait, offering. Wait, have you so. collected some Rovember stuff? I had some in mind. I haven't bought oh, them okay, yet because good. I was waiting for you to Because my thought is like off. the thing that we get, we should just buy and send directly to the person instead of shipping it to our house and then us shipping it out because we can't Oh, be right. That makes more sense. That we can't be trusted. <laughs> right. No, that's certainly true. Yeah. Uh, but can you be trusted to send out that ship if uh, if somebody wins? Yeah, it? if we give, yeah, because it has to be the one that I broke. So okay. obviously, I would send it out with the little tiny. Here's a little. Here's a little dish. Now, do you want that? Do you want off. that to be the uh, the? No, it, it seems like is... Rovember's happening. Well, see, you seem annoyed. I'm letting you make the choice. <laughs> but I'm also telling you that I've been outvoted two to one. <laughs> Me and Bootsy Frost. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if Bootsy Frost has a full vote. Well, look. <laughs> and I don't know that I have we're, a full vote, to be stalemate. honest with you. <laughs> we're in a stalemate, and Bootsy came along and broke the stalemate. All right. Well, if anybody Bootsy, wants to... Bootsy's more like... Um, <laughs> Bootsy's more like the 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 uh, the brother uh-huh. uh, in this episode here, and you're the sister. Gotcha. It's like you have the real oomph, you know, and the, you've the you've, right. you've done the research, you know, you've right. already looked at things. And then Bootsy swings on in and goes like, you know, he's right. right. I feel like you're just saying that because I'm the one that dies in that metaphor. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm the one that flies off into a just into a prove, weird anomaly and just blows to prove up. Just your point. <laughs> What's the last thing Andy said? Rovember? <laughs> that oh, that would be a terrible. That would be terrible last words. Um. All right. Then you heard it. You heard it first. <laughs> he it's died be like in he, November. He, he died like he lived. Uh, um. Something. Something puns. I, whatever. Oh, you know what? Part of the problem is, if I wait For to see who wins, if and I hear we're in a bind because if it's something that there's no duplicates of, then I can't. You know, I got to buy it. I can't wait on it. You know what I'm saying? Because then you know somebody. Else oh yeah, buy yeah, it. but it can be like, uh, you know, we could just say it'll be two i two ensign row related items, right? Of Andy's choosing, right? I don't have to say what they are. I'm even going to say three. Whoa, I have three in mind. It's out of control. All right, it's out of control. Um, 
I do think it's cooler for the future if we can get a get a thing in mind like your broken <laughs> enterprise that you're offering people. Um, but, like, but it was, but it hey, was hey, handled hey, hey, hey. by unlike, Matt Myra. Unlike but. McCoy, I still have the original box. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on with this. Priority one messages. Uh, Luke Morgan Rowe writes, uh, I was happy to see James Bonding make a welcome return to discuss No Time to Die, but I was amused when our Matt asked Gourley to use his tenuous connection to Billy Magnuson to get him on the podcast Double Standards. Hey, Matt? <laughs> yeah. Winky face. That's funny. Um, I don't think is we've that ever, because... We've never had a interview to guest on that show, but we've had guests on the show. Bonding's different. Mostly when I don't have to do the work. Anyway, continue. <laughs> That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, I could try and track down some guests. Like, you know, just showing up in a Zoom and then recording and then sending your audio file off to Matt Gourley and never thinking about it again is like an amazing freedom. Right, I hear you. Right. He does all the, he's the you on that podcast. He, he does all he the took, tech yeah. stuff. He was like, yeah. I was like, you sure? He's like, yeah. I was like, great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Lieutenant Brett Schofield writes, Andy and Matt, if you two woke up and found yourselves connected by brain implants and could hear each other's th- thoughts, would your version We'd have just... trouble separating whose thoughts they are. That's so true. <laughs> it would also be just constant self-attack. We oh, would... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we're doing that in our own brains anyway, so... What do you mean I'm fat? That was you, Matt. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, uh, that's not a stupid thought. Oh, I'm thinking that. Um, would your version just be entirely the scene where Picard and Crusher talk about food and hunger, but yes. for the length of the episode? I certainly. mean, mostly yes. Very specific things, but I could guarantee you, neither of us would think of vegetable soup. What's the last? What's the last most satisfying thing you had? Like, even if it's crappy junk food. Uh, the first half of the sandwich. Ooh, what's it, what is it? It's a steak and cheese from uh, Boo's Cheese Steaks <laughs> over in Koreatown. I used to order when I lived over in Koreatown. I haven't got one in a while. They deliver all the, all the way to you, huh? All the way to me. It's a pretty solid cheesesteak. I agree. They're also their turkey. is uh, nothing to sneeze at. Oh. Is it a turkey cheesesteak? No, it's a turkey, you know, like, like, cold, with like, cheese? A, cold, like a turkey hoagie. Oh, turkey, you know, turkey cheese, mayo, lettuce, tomato, onion, a pickle. Uh, James McLaughlin writes, what level of Patreon is it to play 9 to 18 holes with Matt? Mm. I mean, if you live in the is area. Is that the cube? If, if you live in the area, there's no, it's no level. You just let me know. I, I, I golf alone so much. Um, Mark Movie yes, King. Last week, Andy. Yeah. Yes. Last Thursday. No, was it Thursday or Monday? Monday, I played 45 holes by myself. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I played, Wait a minute. That's I an played, uneven number. I, what did I you? Played, I played 18 twice, and then I played nine. Wow. The course must was, be really was, getting great. The course was empty, and it was cold and rainy in Los Angeles. And apparently when rain happens in L.A., people don't golf. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Why aren't you golfing, people? This is the best weather to golf in. So I've been telling Matt, like, to chip, you know, I would chip in if he got me some, you know, just pick whatever, some clubs. They don't have to be, you know, fantastic ones. I don't know what I'm doing. It's very unfortunate and, uh, that Andy writes left-handed 
don't you write left-handed? I thought you did. Don't you? I do write left-handed. Yeah, I, but I you don't, don't but play on. golf left-handed. It's very strange no. to me. Yeah. Um, anyway, I need some right-handed clubs so people will golf with me because no one that has clubs will golf with me. <laughs> um, but uh, if I if I played with you at this point, I feel like you would be able to go. Oh, what you got to do is you know whatever. At least from all the lessons and everything and the practice. Well, yeah, I would know what to do. Can I execute my own golf shots? Probably not. But right. Well, all I need is pointers. Um, Mark Movie King Schultes adds to the Patreon the the sort of the question about the top level. Matt, you only have to worry about any of us winning the lottery because if I do, you can bet your ass my Patreon will evolve to the Q continuum. <laughs> oh boy! Good luck on the lottery. <laughs> really think support, we're in no danger. Support your roads and schools. Unless unless Bezos at some point just listens to this because I know he's a Trek fan. Jeffy B, uh, sending Jeffy B into space. As we call him. Oh, man. Then we get to go into space. I'm assuming he's going to let us go into space like Shatner. Didn't seem like that's <laughs> sure. likely. Uh, did you have any take on that? On Shatner going to space? Yeah. Uh, he's old. Good for him. Um, they had that stuff that where he was being very Shatnery and uh, and dramatic when he was thanking Bezos for it. And, uh, uh, of course. And actually, I feel like it was very touching because it's like you don't know how... Shatner's going to respond in any given situation. And he was, he was like, appropriately awed and impressed for someone uh, who had actually, you know, played someone going into space his entire career. Sure. <laughs> it was kind of nice. Um, Cam writes, Australian here, and by the way, uh, yes, if there's a world government, we'll be the last to join it. Unless America joins it, then we'll pretend we always wanted to. <laughs> um... And then from be good, 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 Johnny, um, uh, they say, do you see parallels between this episode and Final Mission, season four, episode nine, where Picard and Wesley crash on a planet? Wesley tells Jean-Luc Picard, all the things I worked for, I've done it all because I want you to be proud of me. It's a nice father-son moment. Uh, uh, type of moment mm-hmm. and then in Attached we have Picard professing his feelings for Beverly I wish Beverly would have mentioned Wesley in Attached just so she could better uh, understand how much Jean-Luc actually cares for quote the boy also you'd think Picard would have learned not to go anywhere with a crusher well, Lieutenant Commander Mullins that's true does seem to always but yeah, there are there are some Go there poorly. are some good parallels there, up to and including uh, being lost together in a fight for their lives. Yeah. Um. Tom Bondurant writes, "Hi, Matt and Andy. When you get to DS Nine, we're going to need something to replace Frank Sinatra. Come on, and what's the deal with Seinfeld? Which is what we play on our Voyager episodes. Here's my suggestion: Deep Space Nine ran from 1993 to 99. Yeah." Overlapping was on the entire time, but go ahead. You're saying switch. What's the deal with Seinfeld over to uh, to to DS9? Well, it'll be 1993, so Seinfeld was on till. I know, but I feel like that's married to. Okay, look, Voyager. I just need. I need. uh, Anyway, here's a suggestion. What's what's the guy's name? The bottom line. The fellow row person. 
Booty. Booty. I need Booty to weigh in on that. <laughs> Booty, Booty's the tiebreaker. Yeah. Um, Deep Space Nine ran from 1993 to 1999, overlapping with TNG season six, seven. Voyager ran seasons one to five. As such, it was the only Trek series that aired alongside another Trek series and in the same 24th century era to boot. Therefore, I volunteer to put together anyone offering work has got me on their side uh as same as matt uh elsewhere in track a brief weekly reminder of what tng and or voyager was up to oh that's interesting i mean another side issue frank sinatra was alive for a, a while after after uh tng ended so but was he working yes he was we'll find that's out the question I don't know. we will find out um do you like that idea I do like that idea. That's nice. Context. My main concern was just spoilers for Voyager. Even though we're doing Voyager in the Patreon, uh, I feel like uh, I think that we it wouldn't it wouldn't factor in. I think we'd be far enough ahead, yeah, on the Voyager side of things that it wouldn't be a problem. Also, you've seen it, and so have I. <laughs> I don't mean just for me. I mean, oh, for Andy, you're selfless. Uh, that's what this, everyone says about this, me, except this you. This is your evil twin. <laughs> um, Alexander Jahan says, I remember I practically wrote fanfics about the relationship dynamics of Beverly and Picard when I first watched TNG as I was sharing my thoughts about the episodes on Facebook at the time. Suffice to say, I feel there is a lot left unsaid this episode. <laughs> you mean a lot left unsaid that you said in your fanfiction? Yeah, I can't tell. I feel like he's saying... Between them, that was actually going on. But maybe he means based on the books. <laughs> I don't know. Or his own fanfics? Is that what it is? Um, anyway, that's it for the hails. Uh, sorry, that's it no, for, the, for, uh, it for the priority, priority one, one messages. Which I never yeah. even played the sound intro for that. Uh, somehow we jumped around a little bit. And uh, let's get out of here. Head back out into the uh, hallway. Corridor. <laughs> Um, Captain, incoming message. Captain, we are being hailed. Um, I wanted to kind of uh, spread the wealth. There was, uh, I feel like, spread it. <laughs> There's maybe a little bit of a thought that maybe I was uh, be un- unfairly weighing it toward the uh, toward our our patrons because we try a, and give them it, their money's worth. It is a perk. But, uh, but it is a, it is a perk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so you get that gets my attention. But I'm trying to spread the wealth and. Uh, you know, have everyone be heard. Whether you got a little scratch to join the Patreon or not, you're still valued here. Um, so this is from, uh, um, oh, sorry, this is this one's the voice hail from Cosmo. All right, here it is. Hi guys, it's Cosmo. Matt, congratulations on having yourself named in Star Trek. Um, Thank you. Lower Decks, most recent episode, at the six-minute mark. Uh, I think it deserves a a listen on the podcast. Uh, It'll take 30 seconds, but you, your name is now canon in Star Trek. Uh, That's pretty cool. Uh, Next up, Andy. We got to get a planet named Secunda, like Secunda 4. We're, we're, on, we're en route to Secunda 4 to negotiate something. Perfect. So somebody needs to make that happen. But uh, way to go, Matt. So uh, look forward to listening to that. And yay. I sent you Andy, a, a I link have, on I sent I you a link it. on Twitter. Oh, okay, great. 
I have the original from the uh, before the animatics were done. Here it is. Oh, wow. Come on, her head cloudy. Oh, thank you, Ensign. Boimler, I took a little Tamarian at the Academy. Oh, Anzac and Vila as children. Oh, uh, right. Um, Carno in the forest with Myra. It is hard to lose weight when you can replicate any food you want. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what I meant. Dang it. <laughs> uh, I like the I like the replicator connotation as well. Yeah, it does seem like a conversation. We <laughs> yeah. consistently discuss the replicator and whether or not it has calories. Um Yes, that was uh that was a very, very uh cool thing that my buddy Kula, Chris Kula did. Um and I, he said that he didn't even have to he it was written as M I R A and uh, it was said correctly without anybody correcting him. Yeah. Well, probably if you look at that name and you're not associating it with Spanish, but you're thinking of it as a space name, <laughs> you would say your name correctly. Probably. Is, yeah, that's probably accurate. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. Anyway, congratulations, pal. You're part of canon. Thank you. I. You know that should that should be a like little sub thing in my memory alpha page. For sure. Like. Yeah. Anyway. But and yes. I think they would have they would have the thing. It was uh, a yeah. word that was said by Boiler in, yeah. Yeah. and then also below it would say, "Here's the backstory of the whatever behind the scenes production <laughs> info about Matt Myra." <laughs> um, are you? You must be in Memory Alpha, right? I am. Yeah, yeah. For After Trek, yeah. That's pretty nice. Yeah. Um, a mock time McCoy adventure from Matt Ellis. <laughs> Uh, Ring-a-ding-ding. Hey, guys, it's Mattoween. Uh, someone in the Facebook suggested uh, we could take the Dr. McCoy toy on his own trek across the states. Each patron would post photos of Bones uh, on their adventures, then carefully mail him to the next patron. <laughs> <laughs> no transporting, since he's not a fan of transporters. <laughs> it's a crazy way to travel, Sp- spreading a man's molecules all over the universe. Um, anyway, uh, sounds like a cool idea. Maybe we could create an Instagram account to post all of the photos. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, disengage. Um, I mean, I'm on board. I just don't. Uh, Look, whoever I, I, gets it has to make the call themselves. Exactly that much right. is the reality. Like, it, yeah. it, like what happens to Amok, Amok McCoy afterwards is yeah. completely out of our hands. Uh, that would be very cool, though. Yeah. A, cumber, um, a cumbersome thing to have to pack, I imagine. I guess that's true. Everywhere you go. Although, I mean, you just send it state to state to people's homes and they go to like some touristy thing near their house and take a picture and move, send it on. It'd be kind of funny if nobody really cared about the uh, the, the quality of the packaging and it just got more and more beat up as it went on through time. Um, and now a voice hail from Joe. All righty. Hey guys, Joe from South Dakota here, um, listening to Attachment, and um, you guys were talking about um, why the test would put the the um, proximity thing in the in their in their mind reading device. I would imagine that's actually a pretty good um, pretty good restraint of sorts for for like a pair of prisoners because if one gets injured. The natural thought would be, okay, well, you stay here. You can't move. Your leg's broken. You stay here. I'll go get help. 
Well, you can't do that because you can't get that far away from each other. So therefore, if there is an escape and one is injured, it slows them down. Two people move slower than one is kind of the general thought. At least in my opinion, that's kind of how I viewed it. Um, and I don't. I, yeah, you're right though. It's real dumb that they. Uh, <laughs> that there's, there's no reason for them to to get ill the farther. I mean, to, to to read each other's thoughts. Read each other's thoughts doesn't make sense. But thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, the self-awareness at the end there to follow up with it's real dumb. Well, what am I saying? Of course. I will say I think that uh, he he put his finger on something that was something th- that I think was the intention of that um, that uh, device, um, a narrative device, which is I think they were trying to make them like in an old-timey prison escape movie, you know, mm. two people who were like chained at the leg. Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't perceive that at the time. So. Nor did I. So they were obviously very successful. They sure are. Dark Page, Phantasms, and Red Dwarf. Um, here's another link coming at you in a second. Um, hi, Matt and Andy. This is from John Luke Pickard. Uh, hi, Matt and Andy. I thought you might be interested in hearing about an episode of Red Dwarf called, quote, Gunman of the Apocalypse. In it, the android character has to go into the ship's computer to root out a virus and the human characters to try and help him joining his, quote, dreams through a VR machine, which is then interpreted through a Western RPG program. It aired in the UK the same week as Phantasms did in the U.S., uh, so coincidentally, they had practically the same plot being produced independently of one another across the Pacific, adding to the weirdness that they then uh, chose to have Phantasms and Dark Page air next to each other with their also similar stories. This is the episode that made Patrick Stewart a fan of the show. He commented that while visiting the UK, he happened to see that episode and thought it was ripping off the TNG episode a fistful of datas and that he was contacting his lawyer about it until the show made him uh laugh um and then here matt is the link if you care well i directed this how could they rip me off (laughs) i was living and working in the united states when red dwarf first aired and it wasn't until 1993 or 1994 on a return to the uk that switching channels one night, I came in the middle of this program, clearly a science fiction program, and at once, to my horror and outrage, what I thought I saw was a rip-off of Star Trek The Next Generation. I I was already reaching for the telephone to call my lawyer when something happened that made me laugh and it was something that certainly would not have happened on the next generation. So I left the telephone where it was, and I went on watching, and I think within a few moments, I, I had got what the show was, and, and I was laughing all the time. For me, what made it then, and what continues to make the show so appealing, is that it is at times so close to the television series that I recorded for seven years and so delightfully makes a mock of the kind of show that I was doing. I I sometimes wish that we could have introduced some of that same wild, ironic humor into the next generation. Well, look at that. Makes mock. 
guy finds a TV show in a hotel and can't shut up about it. (laughs) (laughs) I heard that Patrick Stewart is starting a a, uh, Red Dwarf podcast, Um, you know. Um, All right, here we go. Uh, Kurt Onstad writes, uh, this is in response to a geeky question we had regarding Hawkeye. Hawkeye, in the main comics line, has been stated to have no actual powers and is just highly trained, not including the period of time where he used pin particles to be Goliath. Mm-hmm. In the Ultimates universe, a modern retelling of the Marvel characters that started in the early 2000s, he actually had some experimental optic surgery done to give him enhanced vision that improved his aim to superhuman levels. Hawkeye's DC equivalent, Green Arrow, has been stated to have a metagene that gives him superhuman levels of skill with the bow, but that was in the late 80s, and the DC universe has been rebooted at least twice since then, so that can no longer be the case. True. Kurt Onstead, who uh, has his own podcast called Welcome to Geek Town, where he answers questions like this. Uh, that's my kind of answer to my kind of question. I agree. Nice Geek and Town. concise, detailed, a lot of information. Check out that podcast, everybody. Uh, hopefully the questions are as meaningless as the ones Andy and I present each week. <laughs> Uh, that's it for the hails. If you would like to send us a hail, uh, you can do so at sttncpod at gmail.com. Please include the uh, title of the episode uh, if it's in reference to one of the episodes in the subject heading. Um, and uh, you can obviously get access to our priority messages um, if you join the Patreon at either level. Uh, if you want to reach Matt at Instagram or Twitter, he's at Matt Myra. I am at Andrew Secunda on Instagram, at Secunda on Twitter. And if you want to send us a voice hail, uh, it's 816 Trek TNC. We crossed many doors to many places. Your hails made us think of all your faces. So plug TNC in your little board node. Let's talk about this week's episode. Ah, uh, yes. We're going to talk about this week's episode, Force of Nature, which aired the 15th of November, 1993. Andy, what was happening? Number one song, Still Raining. Uh, in uh, U.S. and the U.K., I do anything for love by Meatloaf. I knew that. I just didn't have the uh, clip up. There we go. Uh, apparently, it was on top in both the U.K. and the U.S. for four weeks. It's crazy. Uh, number one movie, The Three Musketeers. Number one book, Slow Waltz and Cedar Bend by Robert James Waller. Is that the one with Gerard Depardieu and Charlie Sheen? That sounds right. Was also, uh, what was his name? Was Robin from uh, the from the uh, from the Val Kilmer Batman? Was Chris O'Donnell. Chris O'Donnell was he? Wasn't he in it? I don't know. Anyway, uh, number one TV show that week, sixty minutes. Burst that week, Pete Davidson Saturday Night wow. Live. <laughs> so old. Uh, Deaths that week, actor Bill Bixby, uh, the original Hulk. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the Man in the uh, Iron Mask. Right? Oh, yeah? Is that what I'm thinking of? I don't know. I thought you were looking it up. Um, I don't. I can't distinguish. But I definitely saw Gerard the Depardieu one. Gerard was in The Man in the Iron Mask, and he was in a movie called uh, Lady Musket- The Lady Musketeer. Wow. 
Uh, but not in the Three Musketeers, which... Chris O'Donnell was in the Three Musketeers that I'm thinking of, and it was also Kiefer Sutherland and who else? Charlie Sheen. So that was the one you were thinking of. So I combined two things of the same era. I have to assume they were like, hey, we'll do Young Guns. This is our new Young Guns. Yes, exactly. Uh, I read that there's something in the pipeline for bringing back (laughs) Young Guns. But at, with the original, with the original cast, cast as old which, guns. By the exactly. way, you call it old guns. I'm there. That's what I said, and I don't think it was. I think it was just listed young guns. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think there was that old guns was listed, but I think it, you have to. I anyway. think uh, you know. I'd watch a Lou Diamond Phillips in a western again, for sure. Events: uh, NAFTA is passed by Congress. Nirvana play their famous unplugged concert. Sure. That's it for this day in Trek. Oh, no, no. I'm leaving only that. one segment. All right, Andy. Here we go. Oh, no. <laughs> Can't stop the number one song in both the United States and the UK for some reason. Frank would be Frank enraged. Sinatra, come these. on. Da, 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 da. Time for that segment everybody hates. <laughs> Time for Frank Sinatra, come on. Andy, what was the chairman of the board doing 15th of November 1993? Well, I'll tell you, Matt, Frank has just finished his Atlantic City run and is off for a five-night gig at another casino this week. We'll be mean to Andy with an impossible place name and give Matt a trivia challenge. What casino did Frank perform at on the... Mashantucket Peacoat Reservation. Foxwoods, baby! <laughs> do you know, how do you say that? You have no idea. What do you mean? Pequot. Ma- Mashant- oh, Pequot, that's it. Yeah. Um, the answer is Foxwoods Resort Casino, of course. So, good job, Matt. Thank you. Foxwoods, baby! You did it. Do you think that Frank, when he was at a casino, he would like step up to a high roller table and do some business or you think he was like eh get me a new pair of dice (laughs) get me a dame to blow on it I don't like how I'm losing (laughs) talk to the manager Uh, I love it I love Frank Sinatra constantly just playing casinos here we go. It's time to talk about Force of Nature, written by uh, Naren Shankar and directed by Robert Letterman. Uh, while tracing the missing medical ship Fleming through the Hecarus Corridor, cor- Corduroy, I almost said Corridor, <laughs> the only safe route through the area filled with Tetrion particles, a hazard to warp-driven ships, the pet Enterprise is fired upon by a Ferengi ship that seemed to be dead. After Damon Pock asserts that an object presumed to be a Federation buoy emitted a disabling vetri, uh, verteron pulse, I remember, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the hell they said. I, I, I don't remember. The either. Enterprise helps the ship on its way, only to be attacked in the same way hours later. A Hakaran brother and sister, Rabal and Sarova, board the ship forcibly to explain their goal, to demand that the use of warp drive be halted before it destroys the fabric of space near their world, even if that means isolating itself from the United Federation of Planets. An angry Picard softens after Data finds their theory has merits. 
but the impatient Sarova sacrifices herself on her own ship to create a rift that sucks the Fleming and threatens the Enterprise. A shake on the forge, upset at the newfound dangers of warp drive, helps to find a way to coast into the rift on a brief warp pulse and then recovers enough to ride another wave out when the Fleming tries to restart its warp drive, damaging both ships. With the United Federation planets declaring a new warp 5 speed limit, LaForge consoles Raval over his sister's sacrifice and joins Picard, mulling their careers' use of warp drive, revolving, sorry, resolving to put their new awareness to good use. <sighs> yes, there it is, everybody. And here we go. Jordy? In here, Data. Got her now. She's trapped. Come on out of there, you one. Hey, hey, don't you spit at me. <laughs> what? Andy, do cats spit? Um, they don't really. It's not an active thing. I guess in the process of hissing that something might come out. Uh, okay. Good. Andy they, don't, they don't really have lips. So. Resident cat expert, Andy Secunda. Thank you. <laughs> Why a spot under the bed? Probably because she knows if I catch her, I'm going to kill her. Has spot been misbehaving? So far, she's broken a vase, a teapot. She's ruined one of my chairs using it as a scratch post, and, and she's coughing hairballs up all over my carpet. These incidents are common to cat owners. When you borrowed spot, you said you wanted to experience the full range of feline behavior before getting a cat yourself. Yeah, well, I'm not ready. You can take her back with my blessings. Go ahead. Call her. Spot does not respond to verbal commands. She doesn't come when you call her? Data, have you ever considered training this cat? I never found it to be necessary. Necessary? Data, the cat is out of control. Half the time I didn't know <laughs> if she was gonna lick me or scratch my face off. I've never experienced this kind of behavior in Spot. Although she does have the unfortunate habit of jumping on my computer console when I'm working. She needs training. Riker to senior staff. <laughs> it's really... He's really kind of human-splaining. <laughs> well. I don't, I don't like it. He's like really like... Outside of the fact that it's just like... It's a weird position to take. Like... You gotta train this cat. It's like some cats can be trained, some cats can't be trained. But I didn't realize any cats could be trained. I mean, he Other, makes his own point. Box, I, I don't know. It is interesting. He makes his own point later when he says his sister uh, has trained her cat. But uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it's mostly the attitude of just like I and I. It's what's interesting is I don't know. Actually, yeah, I guess I guess thematically they do tie it in because at the end, Jordy is questioning himself for his blindness and arrogance that he whoa whoa, whoa. come on man assume he's a visor to see you can't just go around talking about him being <laughs> sorry blind. i apologize jordy that was un- unintentional <laughs> um although they did pick that character to consider himself being um unable to see the ramifications of his, <laughs> of his uh, actions so i guess it does tie in so uh i, th- I guess that's fair Please report to the observation lounge. Mission briefing in 10 minutes. All right, we have to get her out of here. This, uh, 
really is like the first mission briefing I've ever seen on TNG. Well, huh. maybe not the first. That can't be right. It's certainly one of the few that is presented like this, which I, I liked a lot. This really did feel like a, this is our day-to-day, and uh, everyone, we're going to... Everyone get to the observation lounge and we'll have a mission briefing and then it's a very dry you briefing. When she comes out. Now wait a minute. Is that that is the teaser, right? Spot is the teaser? Yes. That to me is it was an even crazier aspect <laughs> that it was just like All right, well that's what we're going to do with Spot. Da da da. Just go right to credits on that. That is you have, certainly you know I'm on board and it's a cat related uh, teaser. I was just shocked. <laughs> I think the uh, those those people don't even show up until twenty minutes into the episode. Yeah, so. and they're not a direct threat. It's a very oddly plotted episode. Not unpleasant, but just very strange. It's like you would think when they show up, it's going to be like, oh, now we're, we're now we're in battle head to head, and they just show up and they're like, no, we have a sort of slightly different point of view, and um, you guys are more extreme, and we're going to have to resolve this. Captain's log, Stardate four seven three one zero point two. We're investigating the disappearance of the medical transport Fleming somewhere in the Hakaris corridor. Our search is complicated by the unique properties of this particular region of space. The Fleming last contacted Starfleet four days ago. According to them, like, there was nothing... This feels like what happens right before most episodes open with a captain's log. Right. The captain's log would just restack this and then they'd be going. Yeah. And I, but So I liked seeing this. <laughs> Because it makes you feel like you're there this in the room. It, it, it feels like, uh, you know, we got, uh, we're going to have a coffee and talk about what our day is going to be like. This feels like a morning meeting. We have been talking a lot about, uh, um, contrarily, I don't know if I'm using that correctly, um, uh, they, on Disco, uh, on Discovery, they, everything's always universe saving stakes Whoa, and sorry, it's jacked up to the top. Loaf pumped in there for a second. Um, and, uh, this was a nice, uh, antidote to it, which is just like, I mean, eventually, I guess it does get to, to universe, uh, universe threatening stakes, but, uh, I like the little calmness. Thing out of the ordinary when they entered the corridor. Data. The unusually intense Tetrion field in this sector poses a severe navigational hazard to warp-driven vessels. The Hakaris Corridor is the only Worf looking at? I was just thinking, Worf is so bored by this Ships meeting. traveling at warp must use the corridor. <laughs> is that, that's a choice by door, right? Yes. How long would it take? It's like, ugh, tech stuff. At least two days, sir. The corridor is over 12 light years long, and the surrounding Tetrion interference will limit our sensor range. Could we send out reconnaissance probes to supplement the sensors? Won't be very effective. Sensors. The interference will make it difficult to maintain contact with the probes. Best we can do is to increase sensor efficiency. We've installed multi-phase buffers on all the sensor modules, Captain. Should help a little. The Keras 2 is inhabited, isn't it? Maybe they've had contact with the Fleming. They haven't. I've already spoken to the Hakaran government. According to them, only one ship has passed through the system in the last week. It was a Ferengi trader. The Fleming was carrying a supply of rare biomimetic gel, which is very valuable. Is it possible that the Ferengi might have hijacked it? I wouldn't put it past them. I think we should prepare for that contingency. Isn't that what the uh, right. what Voyager ends up uh, being 
replacing isolinear chips with. Oh, interesting. And then follow up to that is the guy that uh, LaForge has the rivalry with on the Intrepid. That must be the first Intrepid class ship, right? The first Voyager class ship. Oh, interesting. Because it's the Intrepid. Right. Oh, yeah. Wow. So I'm assuming that it isn't literally an Intrepid class ship. Yeah. Um, Good catch, Matt. Mr. Wolf, initiate your search pattern. Let's head in. Wish we could get a look at it. Jordy, there has been a slight drop in sensor efficiency. Perhaps we should examine the phase buffers. No problem, Dave. I'll be right with you. Okay, Hanson, transfer the EPS conduit 13 to the stabilizer matrix. Oh, yeah. Star Trek Encyclopedia described the Intrepid as the prototype for the Intrepid-class ship. Nice. Thank you, Star Trek Encyclopedia, for agreeing with my brain. See, here's another weird thing with the with the plotting of this episode. They start with Spot. That's the teaser. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Then they go to the conference room scene where, as you point out, they just sort of stack a normal <laughs> mission, and that's it. Then they go back to this, and the same two characters, and it's a different kind of B or C plot. <laughs> It's very odd in that sense. It, it's a very it's a plodding episode. And I don't mean plodding with a T. I mean, like, it's like just very, like, let's get there eventually. We'll Were you bored, though? I was kind of interested in these side trips. I just I, didn't know. I was confused in terms of, like, what are they doing narratively? This is odd. <laughs> I liked them. I liked- like, I don't mind the downbeats with these. It's all downbeats. Downbeats being, like beats that are not sort of the main plot i like seeing that you know but i didn't it was very confusing it was kind of like what are we doing here are we out of story yeah uh, in case you're wondering uh intrepid is uh, ncc seven four six zero zero and uh voyager is ncc seven four six five six is there a picture more it it looks like this ship with uh, Just looks like with a different number and name on it. <laughs> How many out of tre- Intrepid is Voyager? Do you know? How many out of Intrepid? Like how many of the How class were built before? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know is the answer to that question. Thank you. A side note, I also wonder how many Constitution class ships there are floating around. Constitution class? There were a lot. Yeah. We saw at least five in the original series, I think. Yeah. Galaxy class, there's a lot of, there are a lot of them that we see particularly in Deep Space Nine. Are there a lot of um, ships that Starfleet has that outgun the Enterprise, the Enterprise D? A lot of ships that outgun it? No. No. Would you like there to be? I'm just curious if they had like specially built, you know, for battle ships that are they, like, well, that's they, smaller, but that could they, kick more ass. They only built one, and here she is. Is that the, de- is that the Defiant? USS Defiant, designed in part by Benjamin Sisko at the Utopia Planitia, specifically <laughs> to fight the Borg. You love your Defiant. Is, is Defiant? 
Is Defiant in episode one of Disco- of uh, DS9? Or am nope. I going to have to wait a while to see it? You're going to have to wait a while to see it. How long? Three seasons. Oh, that's too bad. Yep. They're fi- they, they finally go, oh, we're pretty tired of sending them out on these runabouts. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's put a ship on the fucking station. <laughs> Defend the station. Get in that shuttle. What? <laughs> no. Then why are you stabilizing the EPS conduit? Just trying to get a slightly higher power conversion level. But that would not affect the engines in any way. I know that, Data. It's not the point. What is the point? I'm just trying to get a higher conversion level. That's all. <laughs> it's being real cagey because he knows he's using company time for his personal project. <laughs> you know the Intrepid? Yes. Well, their chief engineer is Commander Donald Kaplan. He and I went through the academy together. I just like to make sure that our power conversion levels are a little bit higher than theirs. I understand. You are in competition with Mr. Kaplan. You might say that. This is the flagship. We should be better than everybody else. Then you are trying to outperform the Intrepid. Actually, it's more a matter of personal pride. I mean, these are my engines. And there's nothing wrong with a little friendly rivalry. Okay. Computer. How much of the conversion levels increased? Levels are unchanged. All right, I'll deal with this later. Let me give you a hand <laughs> with those sensors. So no idea has to do his main job. How's that? One moment. The phase buffer is operating within normal parameters. Sensor efficiency has increased by 6.7%. 6.7. Well, the stages must still be out of alignment. Let's try junction A9. I was hoping Donald Kaplan would have a memory beta entry, but he doesn't. Are you sure? Because I found some stuff on him. Oh, he did. I yeah. looked under memory beta. Go ahead. You got to search through the USS Intrepid. Oh. That's how you find it. And literally all, it just says that there's no memory beta. You're right. There is a memory alpha in, input, though. I mean, that's fine. I, what does it say about him? It, the Guess, Andy. Can you tell me what you think? Just what was in that scene, right? Pretty much that sentence, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Listen to me. My sister did know a thing about animals, and she was able to train her cat. How complicated could it be? <laughs> My sister's a real dumb-dumb. Dumb. She had that cat jumping into her arm on command. <laughs> Interesting. Perhaps I could modify your sister's techniques to keep Spot from jumping on the console. Do you know how she was able to train her cat? Well, as I recall, she walked around for two months with a piece of tuna in her blouse. <laughs> um. By the way, yeah, Data doesn't employ uh, any any part of that uh, that reasoning to the cat. And I will say, um, I actually have the same thing with Omar. And I trained him. He would jump up on the table. And I trained him to, uh, when I snap, he gets down. Because he knows that once I snap, it's like, I'm not going to feed you until I snap, until you get get off the table. So, um, cats can be trained. We see seven named galaxy-class ships throughout TNG and DS9. Thank you. 
I feel like you're not. Uh, I feel like you're looking at the Star Trek stuff. You're not listening to my training my cat story very closely. Well, you know, <laughs> to each their own. And in fairness to you, though, in fairness to you, yeah, all that's happened in this episode, yeah, Enterprise got a mission. <laughs> like I'm more on topic than you are. And let's talk about some cats. Like that is literally all that's happened in this. That's episode. the other thing. They go to the other thing where Jordy's trying to beat. Donald Kaplan, which has nothing, which is a sort of a side journey from his main job, and then they go into the conduit, and they're back on the cat. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> I love it, honestly. I know you were saying you were you thought it was plotting. I actually am totally into it. I just don't. I would love to know what the conversation was in the in the freaking writers' room. Right, this buffer is out of alignment. <laughs> what if it was just the whole episode? The oh, two of them walking Try around, climbing through conduits, talking about cats, Honestly, talking about. If that was the episode, that would be kind of great. It's part of the part of the thing is, in some ways, it's incredibly inventive and bold for them to do it. And the thing is, they didn't commit to it so hard that it became the episode an impressive choice. You know, it was just sort of like, oh, this is odd. <laughs> That is correct. You also, like, sometimes you're waiting for things to, like, thematically gel fit together. And, like, the right. cat thing doesn't. The cat thing only does in the sense that I said where he's kind of acting like he knows how to how to deal with cats and telling him he should, he should uh, train him when he doesn't know that much about it. And then at the end, it's sort of revealed he doesn't really – he was myopic about, um, about the uh, – the warp issue. Well, but the other it's, thing too. It's very tenuous at best. What about the fact that, like, I guess the competition with his academy buddy is supposed to make us think about the ramifications of two people just willy nilly bump boosting efficiency on warp engines in an environment where it's tearing apart space. I is guess. that what they've been doing? It's, I don't is know. it when they're they're improving the conversion rate? Is that what they're doing? They're increasing the warp. I mean, whatever, for the story to make any it. sense, sure, that's what I think the subsex would be. But I don't know. I don't think it is. Sure. I think what do it's you just think it is. I think it's just weird scenes that they wanted to write with Jordy and Data. All right. Their impulse system is down as well. Power generation is at extremely low levels. What about life signs? Life support kind systems of are also functioning at low levels. Have there a source on. What's that? These are the kind of questions I would love to have a source on. That we could just text. Even Frakes wouldn't have the answer to that one. We'd no, need a, I don't uh, think. I don't even think Shankar would have the answer to that one. You don't think so? Oh, here you go. Ready? Yeah. Regarding the weak link between the episodes A and B plots, Shankar explained, the slightest dramatic connection between those two is the notion that you cannot control a force of nature like a cat. Ha-ha! That's what I said. That, was, that wasn't exactly what I said, but it was the same direction. But nothing on the uh, other part of the story. <laughs> on the conversion rate yeah. plot? Yeah. 50 Ferengi on board. That is a standard complement for a ship of that class. Mr. Wolf, open a hailing frequency. 
There is no response on any channel, sir. I'm not picking up any subspace emissions from the ship at all, Captain. Looks like every one of their field coils has been overloaded. That would explain why they haven't responded to our hails. It would also explain the failure of their warp drive. Captain, Ferengi's sensors are still online. I could modify one of our deflector emitters to transmit old-style delta waves. If I modulate that with a comm signal, the Ferengi should be able to pick that up. Oh, here we go. Ready? At first, we had Geordi's sister come on board the ship to help him adjust to the death of his mother, but that seemed to muddle everything completely. We then started with this whole little thread of Geordi in competition with the engineer from another ship so that we could show Geordi's deeply felt belief in technology and the benefits of technology so that he would be at war with himself when realizing that it was contributing to something disastrous. I guess that's present. Yeah, sure. I it so. If they did hijack the Fleming, they sure didn't get very far with the cargo. Mr. Wolf, have tractor beam standing ah, by. We more may- information for you from Memory Alpha, Andy. Okay. When the script was written, it turned out to be very, very short. That's uh, that's exactly what I was going to say like 30 seconds ago was it feels like he just got to the end of the script and was like, well, I don't have enough pages here. I'm just going to write another fucking thing with Jordan Data. So <laughs> then we started adding scenes about Data's cat. <laughs> what? The cat was added last? By luck or by bad luck, all of those scenes turned out to be at the beginning of the show. So you had an episode that started. Very fitfully. That's so funny. It seemed to be about Data's tech cat, and then it took a turn and seemed to be about Jordy and his rivalry with this other guy. Then it went back to the cat, and then finally, in about the third act, the real story began. And by that point, I think people were hopelessly lost. I well, sort of. How did? It's what, never, it's how never far behind were you track. that you weren't like, all right, we got to fucking change the beginning of the script? That is crazy. I mean, I kind of love it. I, th- I think they did a. a a great job of clearly a story conf- misstep, but like they made these p- pieces interesting, or at least to me. Take them under tow. Um, Helm, but it's crazy. I sir, Captain. I mean, I've had sh- episodes. We've had episodes like I remember on one of my episodes, my first episode of the Goldbergs that I wrote was. Uh, we cut it together, and it was a scene. It was like a scene short. Like we never, you know, how we do two beats of uh, in Act Two of the A story and two beats of the B story. Yeah. Well, we'd never had we'd never had the second beat of the B story, and no one noticed it until after we shot the episode. <laughs> so we shot the episode, and then we were looking at the cuts, and then we we're like, "Wait a second. And then Eric, my writing partner, pointed. He was like, "Wait a second. There's no." I was like, oh, shit, you're right. And then uh, Chris Bishop and I went and wrote a crazy scene about Jeff Schwartz bringing home live crawfish. (laughs) Interesting (laughs) also. Because he couldn't get reservations to a red lobster. Interestingly, Um, also animal related. (laughs) Yes. uh, And we shot it. And it's in the episode. Is it funny? It's a pretty funny scene. I mean, sure. If you have no story obligation, you you can write an incredibly funny scene. You watch it and you're like, huh. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what that was. (laughs) I'm picking up power emissions from the Ferengi vessel. They're locking weapons. Shields up! Riker, when he uh, said shields up Shields up! (laughs) 
he also kind of does a little dip to kind of really project his voice out. <laughs> Shield up. Um, I'm kind of very heartened that uh, the uh, my instincts on. I feel like this is what was happening. Turned out to be accurate behind the scenes. Totally well, I mean, it's very clearly they're very clearly incoherently connected. There right. is no coherence to the connection of the three things happening. But obviously so many different things can happen in the course of production and writing a script or stuff they had to edit out or whatever that it, you know, or or it could have just been that they had something in their minds, like we're saying, like, oh, we'll be inventive when we'll do X, Y, or Z. But Andy, their story really doesn't start till about the 18-minute mark, you know? <laughs> As I yeah. pointed out, you got to think, that's 20 pages short. Right. At least. Well, That's it's not crazy. all cat stuff. Although it is a lot of it bullshit. It is mostly cat stuff because you're all you have that is you have a scene. Two cat you have a three pager, maybe a maybe a two and a half pager here. Right. Which is the mission briefing. Is the, the, which yeah. was probably covered by a captain's log in the original draft, but they wanted to <laughs> right. extend it. Right. So, so, what, so and then nothing happens. They just so I guess they just broke the story. And it would have been like we don't have enough. I think we in don't the have first, enough room. I also wonder draft. if they they were hindered by killing the sister because she's the main antagonist. First draft, I think probably started right here, like literally right here at the at the ten minute mark. I think it was right. Captain's log, blah blah blah. The Enterprise has been in the blah blah corridor, searching for the remains of a blah blah ship. And yeah. Then, if you and enjoy then, your through down there, we'd like to have you on the bridge. Then you come up to this. It is a well, they, transport they do usually start with a downbeat. So theoretically, it probably was the the, well, the energy conversion thing. Although, frankly, the energy conversion thing doesn't connect that much to the... I guess it kind of ties into Jordy's ego a little bit. And he's doing something that doesn't make sense on the basis of ego. But it's very... that Even that is tenuous. Inoperable. We but they would have some kind of downbeat. Right. Actually, it's your status. Down. You were attempting to move in for the kill. Do not toy with me, Picard. We are obviously at your mercy. But know this. When the Ferengi Council learns of your actions, they will consider this an act of war. Damon, clearly there has been some misunderstanding. I think it would be in all our interests if you were to come aboard and we discuss this situation. I see no reason to trust you, human. In that case, we'll be on our way. I'll relay your position to your government if you wish, in case you're unable to complete your repairs and you remain stranded. Perhaps so pleased. <laughs> it would be better to discuss the situation. You must have enjoyed this little Picard diplomacy. We detected what I mean, I did, I did, but it also was like, what is this episode? What is this? Like, it was very. It felt like a lot of thoughts had like a lot of, a lot of false starts in the episode. Uh-huh. And right. it's funny because like I thought about this when I was watching this today. I I was like. This is interesting because I feel like Andy's going to be really drawn in by this cat stuff, and it's not not, not even as a joke. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, you're you're right, and you're I should be not even wrong, and I would theoretically be really drawn in by this day to day bullshit. 
Right. And the, you know, the uh, order of things and how things work on a starship, etc. But it they just seem to meander too much with each other and I couldn't I couldn't really ever get hooked on it. It's interesting. Cuz you're totally right and and I'm right. Like we're both saying the same thing about the episode and I'm not even saying this is a great episode. I am saying that the individual scenes, it's almost like these were deleted scenes that when I saw them, I was delighted. <laughs> but when you're sitting down and evaluating it as a whole episode, it's like, oh, well, this is a The production weird. staff were unanimously disappointed with this episode. Interesting. Michael Piller remarked, I think this is the worst show I collaborated on on this season. It certainly inspired us to have several meetings on where the season was going because... I felt like we were letting it slip away. <laughs> Funny. Wow, they really took it to heart. I, I got to say, we'll be getting there. But what's interesting is, to me, I actually was really impressed where with, the, with where they landed thematically for this episode. I thought it was a very subtle, um, relevant then, relevant now intention. Uh, in terms of the allegories that they're that they're laying out, the sci-fi allegories um, that I, I honestly don't know that I've seen addressed uh, in other, definitely TNG, not in the sense that they haven't touched on the same issues, um, but well, they do like that. When, they like, you think about like uh, the the when they're helping that uh, in the episode where uh, Jordy is uh, Manchurian candidated. Yes. The subplot there, if I remember correctly. No, maybe it's not that one. One of them has a subplot of they're installing filters into the atmosphere to filter out all the pollution. Uh-huh. And the people, remember they have to breathe through these, like, inhalers? Right. Remember but that's that? about a planet that they're visiting, right? Yeah, but that's also about a environmental disaster that they could have averted. I guess this is my point that I find th- that that – the people on the planet could have averted. Right, yeah. Th- this is the distinction that I'm sort of making that I think is really interesting, is it's laying it out from the Starfleet and Federation perspective of, is like, it bo- first the arrogance of, no, it's our technology. We have faith in our science. We have faith in technology. This is, we're, we're kind of going to be slow to make these changes because we have such blind faith in in uh in the technology and in the science well um go ahead to, to that point i would argue that it's just the opposite with where the show lands because it's like the second the federation science council is prevented with with evidence provable evidence which was everybody's problem with her research initially was like there's nothing in here that is actually tangible uh-huh. The second the Federation, like within an hour, they send back this fleet-wide announcement, everybody dropped to Warp 5, except in the cases of extreme war emergencies. That to me was sort of curious, though, because it was sort of like, doesn't Warp cause the rifts at any speed? No. I Well, yes and no. The more energy, the faster it's going to be affecting things, hence her trying to cause a Warp core breach because that is the most energy you can put out of a warp core when that when that thing breaches and explodes. So uh-huh. theoretically, then you would think, okay, warp nine is going to be a lot more damaging than warp five, three, or two. I guess I hear what you're saying, but I guess what I'm saying is uh, 
it feels like they're backing off, but they're not saying, all right, no more warp. Well, they can't do that because you saw Star Trek Discovery Season 3. That's what happens to the Federation with no warp. Well, that was another thing that I found fascinating about this episode is the ramification. I assume that they were influenced by this episode, and that's why they came up with the... No, they would have had to have watched Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Well, whatever the case, it is fascinating watching it with the knowledge of Season 3 of Discovery. The... um, the, uh, the the ramifications sort of starting here um, and then being able to see but them. But that's not the ramifications. What are you talking about? Well, they're not. it's not the ramifications. I understand that it's a different situation. No, it's like, yes, it's like a, it's like a, uh, it's a different version, but it's the same, it's the same. Well, it should be to you in your head right now. It should be like, well, th- that's exactly why they say drop it down to War 5 while we take a look at this. Don't everybody stop using warp? <laughs> what do you mean? Like they're saying, we have to keep using warp to keep the Federation alive because we can't if we can't communicate and get place to place to place. But this is my point: is that it's interesting to look at it from the perspective of not of a planet that we don't. It's like, oh yeah, there's these moral issues that they're playing out and all this stuff. But from the Federation that we're deeply invested in as an audience, of like, no, they got to get where they're going. They got to you know have warp. They got to have this technology and use it. Um, that for the show to be saying you're damaging the universe by doing the show that you, basically you guys want us to do, it really puts the audience in a position and the characters in position, and this is what Jordy's struggle is. And what they reflect on at the end with Picard and Jordy. Right. I find that really fascinating and interesting and and uh, unique to this episode. Also, it has far range. I'm assuming they don't just drop this. It has far ranging effects on the Star Trek universe. So, and the rest of the season, even though they only have a, you know a handful of episodes left. Essentially, but, uh, two more times. Does this come? Go ahead. Up? It comes up two more times. Oh, that's it. They just ignore it after this. Well, you know the you know how Voyager's warp pylons go up and down. Yeah, that supposedly was one of the fixes i see (laughs) it's a little bit of a cheat yeah anyway my point is i feel like there are interesting and subtle uh themes that they actually were addressing in this episode in a very intelligent way and that the grounding of it is actually sound i don't think it was as much of a disaster as even the people internally thought i just think when you look at it in terms of the plotting of the things we're saying it was definitely weird and a little misguided. But it was uh, about cats, so what do I care? Jerry Taylor says, I've been on enough series and try to do environmental issues only to realize that they're so hard to dramatize because you're talking about the ozone hole and it's so hard to make it emotional and personal and give it impact on that kind of a level. Uh, she then praises Shankar's attempts to deal with what she calls a doomed premise. <laughs> I don't agree. Why is it a doomed premise? Shankar regretted that the emotional arc with Jordy's sister coming on board was dropped rather than being reworked. He admitted that the finished episode was not one of my finer moments. Brandon Braga observed there were preposterous moments in that show. On the other hand, we knew the risks, but we felt it was really important to at least try to do an environmental show. We struggled to make it a personal story. And in the end, it just didn't work as well as we wanted it to. We couldn't find a personal angle. When you limit warp drive, the rug is being pulled out from under Star Trek. 
this is such a weird position for I me wish to be in. More time had been spent with that, and less time with Spot and the cat. <laughs> well, I mean that's obviously true, but uh, as much as I personally disagree with that, but the uh, but the I don't. It's it's such a weird position for me to be in, with us usually being two people who are just fucking deconstructing and critiquing every moment of this. 30-year-old show, I find myself disagreeing with them that this episode is much better and addresses more things in a more interesting way than they're giving it credit for. I don't think it was that much of a failure. And I think that that last scene with Jordy and Picard and really feeling the weight of what space travel means to these yes. two is really moving and interesting and effective when you tie it to the, to the, the allegory of most likely global warming but only i would argue it's yeah. only effective if you don't drop the thread you're just saying the storytelling itself wasn't effective. no i mean there's no ramifications after this. oh yes that that also is accurate so I mean, even just, when they just becomes nothing after that they when just, they, they move two episodes of star trek after this do they go do they reference the fact that they're they're exceeding warp limits the warp speed limit yeah, like they mentioned it twice in two episodes. After this, that's it. That's all we ever see of it mentioned. And in one of those mentions, it's not. Hey, we figured it out. Uh, no. Oh, that's a real bummer. Exactly. So I, I, I think that they tried, and 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 you know, some steps were made, but uh, they never fully got there. That's such a huge thing to decide. It's a big swing. I agree. I think it's a dumb swing to take in Star Trek. I don't Unless think you're going to really swing. take it. Unless Look, you're going to theoretically, really take it. even if you wanted to drop it, do the thing, do some version of the thing you're saying they did with Voyager, where it's like, oh, we, we you know, it's tough, and there we've had this. Or even better, you come up with a an episode plot. They were fucking scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to come up with episodes for the last season. Anyway, you come up with an episode plot where there's really a price to pay. You know. Like, they have to pay this other than destroying the universe. They, there's a price to pay for the Federation to fix this problem. Um, that would also have been a good They solution. never would have done it, though. What do you mean? They never would have done it. Because they had two other Star Trek shows going at the same time. Like, they can't, like, to to tear the fabric out from underneath three shows... I'm saying that they could have solved it the same way that you're saying they just had the nacelles different in Voyager. Even if it was just a few episodes from then, they're like, all right, we can't change the whole universe. We're going to do this one episode where it's like a really serious, like some shit goes down and the Federation has to make so, or the or the crew has to make some serious sacrifices, but this problem is addressed. And then it it's fixed for the rest of the shows too. I, I just can't. I can't. But minimally it. address it. I can't picture that kind of a thing in TNG. That kind well, of a, a you know a, the Romulan stuff is pretty big swing stuff. What do you mean? I don't know. Like what? Um, and the and the breaking apart of the Klingon Empire and uh, you know I guess it's not as it's not as wide spanning as like you know it, that it would affect every yeah every other Star Trek show but um. That's sort of mm-hmm. that's sort of where I come to the Look, here's the here's the reason I like it. I hear what you're saying that it's very tricky, but the reason I like it is if you're tying it to global warming, 
Um, uh, my apologies to all you global warming deniers out there um, on our Star Trek podcast. Um, but if you're tying it to global warming, it's a such a massive issue that that there is no easy solution for other than us all agreeing that it's happening and making every sacrifice and change we have to to protect the future of the planet, then the warp thing is actually an accurate analogy in some ways. In some ways, it's not even as extreme as global warming. Well, but again, there's nothing... I guess it is extreme because it's it's a danger to to the whole un- the fabric of the universe. But sure, but what about Earth? Come on, that's the most important thing. <laughs> so I don't know. I like it. I definitely agree with you that it's it's definitely it's a weird misstep for them to do it and not wrap it up or address it in some way. It's completely crazy, and uh, and they should have had a plan for that. Several days ago, he did not. Appear to be in any distress. Can you give us an idea of its heading? It is possible that information was recorded in our sensor logs, Commander. Unfortunately, my entire crew is occupied with our repairs. I don't think there will be time to search our records. Damon, if we assigned an engineering team to assist you with your repair efforts, would that give you time to retrieve your logs? I believe it would, Captain. I mean, theoretically, even this isn't even getting the the story started. (laughs) Correct. And then we come back to another spot situation. Spot. Spot. And again, we're now 16 minutes into the show. Spot. More of my problem with this scene is uh, if you had done all this research, this would have been a misguided way to train your cat. Spot. You don't put your cat on the floor and say, explain it to him. This is down. Well, I mean, all the cat training texts were lost in the Great Fire of 2173. <laughs> so is that what happened? Yeah. <laughs> what you do is, you know that the cat wants to be fed, so you just got to wait him out, and then the second he jumps off, that's when you, you reward it. You can't make a cat do something. You have to reward. It's only positive reinforcement. That's the only way you can get a cat to do anything. Hence the two And they can fix before. things, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's my main problem with this scene. <laughs> this is up. Up is no. By the way, come in. Fucking great cat acting. By this, by this, by spot. Levels. Can you give me a hand? I would be happy to. Don't tell me you're trying to teach the cat to use the console. It is part of her training program. I am teaching Spot to jump down from the desk on my command. How's it going? I have not been entirely successful. <laughs> it's a funny delivery. <laughs> Feline supplement number 221. Look at it just sitting there. It's a great performance. Look, you come in as a day player like this, and you're a cat. And then you, you know, you deliver the goods like this. That it's pretty cat impressive. Definitely has a mind of her own. Maybe she's just not trainable. I hey, how I many? Accept that possibility. How many meows has uh, has uh, Spot had? <laughs> is uh, she up to her under five? <laughs> she gotta be well over that by now. 
It may be that Spot lacks the intelligence necessary to learn the appropriate responses to my commands. There you go. <laughs> oh, you gotta, you gotta play the theme. <laughs> Good job, Spot. This procedure will only increase the conversion level by 0.8%. I know, but it could be just enough. Enough. I just received this from Commander Kaplan, subspace. <laughs> so crazy. <The> forge. <laughs> I got the Intrepid's power conversion levels up to 97.1%. Maybe you should try cleaning your plasma grid once in a while. You believe the nerve of that guy? We perform maintenance on the plasma grid at regular intervals. I know. He's just trying to get me angry. There. That should do it. Computer, what are the current power conversion levels? Power conversion levels are at 97.2%. Too bad, Mr. Kaplan. <laughs> Cap- Proudest Jordy's been of anything. <laughs> so excited! And his entire <laughs> you gotta give it to him. He's really he's definitely selling the shit out of it. <laughs> All right, so twenty minutes into the show, the plot shows up. I need a security team down here immediately. It's on its way. What do you want? We're trying to make you listen. You're killing us. That turns out to not necessarily be true. She she means you will someday be killing us. Hey hey hey, let her let her do her thing. Dangerous no, reaction I in apologize. this region of space. Our planet is already being affected. We have measured large gravitational shifts throughout our system. If something isn't done, our planet will become uninhabitable. Captain, I've heard this theory before. Their research was evaluated by the Federation Science Council a few years ago. Quite frankly, it didn't hold up. That research was only preliminary. Our original analysis was incomplete. If you wanted us to review your research, you should have made a request through the Science Council. Their resources are limited. It would have taken over a year before they dispatched a science ship to come and evaluate our work. We were not willing to wait any longer. We knew that if we disabled enough ships, Starfleet would come. Then at least we would be able to present our case. That's how you rationalized these attacks? Neither you nor the Ferengi suffered any casualties, Commander. The actual damage to your vessels was negligible. We dispersed Verderon probes in the corridor merely to disable warp-driven ships. Nothing more. You can call it whatever you like. The fact remains you deliberately disguised your probes. You made them look like signal markers. You hid them in the debris field. You mined the corridor. It's really coming out of the heart. How long do you estimate it will take to restore the engines? Their Verderon pulse overloaded our field coils, Captain. It'll take at least 36 hours to get underway. I know precisely how our pulse affected your field coils. With my help, your ship could be operational in 10 hours. Provided you agree to review our research. A lot of bargaining in this episode. <laughs> A lot. Claim, I'm willing to listen to your case. But let there be no mistake. Our priority here is the recovery of the Fleming. Now I expect you to help us restore our engines and deactivate all of the remaining probes in the corridor. If you do not, you will both be taken to the brig and from there to the nearest star base where you will answer charges for what you have done. My sister and I do not wish to impede your rescue process. Oh, well, don't. Probes are the only leverage we don't have. Don't help them. 
<laughs> we will do as you ask, Captain. But please, re-examine our data. We will. It is part of our job to retain I'll put data on your data. And under these circumstances, <laughs> Mr. Ford's taken to engineering to get the core back online. Kind it's of another reason I kind of like this episode is the, like, Riker is coming at him like they're dead wrong. Like they're maybe even most likely villains, uh, if not oh, uh, I mean, the way severely misguided. It. Well, I mean, I understand. But then that's what's interesting about Picard is kind of, you know, being diplomatic, as always. And he's, like, sort of trying to draw a line and say, I'm not going to bargain with you. You're going to help us, but I'll consider the thing. And she seems like a fanatic. And she's right. It's, like, really interesting to me. <laughs> I feel like you don't see that a lot in Star Trek, where there's, like, the fanatic is correct. Mm. What? You have a very What's interesting that? way of going about it. <laughs> There's no point in trying to talk to you. Shrug, shrug. You've already decided not to listen. You're not on board. Commander, I know my sister can be somewhat uh, aggravating. I'd have to agree with that. I often wish for her to just set her warp core on fire and and get out of my life. I know. You wish she was dead. You wish she just shot off into space. You get it. And then she kills herself. It's really great. I understand. Uh, I she like the uh, the offhanded uh, cause. She has sworn to dedicate delivery by Lavar of. Um, um, <laughs> I'd have to agree with that. <laughs> regions of potential subspace instability within the corridor. They believe that if these regions continue to be exposed to warp field energy, they will rupture. Subspace will extrude into normal space, forming a rift. It's like pacing up and down on the same piece of carpet. Eventually, you wear it out. That analogy is essentially correct, sir. Can this theory be proven? Not at this time, sir. There is insufficient evidence to do so. In order to determine whether or not a rift will form, a region must be exposed to warp field energy approximately one million times greater than that normally generated by a starship. Commander, we believe the warp field effect is cumulative. Each starship that passes through the corridor at warp brings us one step closer to forming a rift. I agree that is a possibility. Captain... I suggest we ask the Federation Science Council to send a research vessel to this area. A more detailed investigation would resolve many of our questions. That's your response. More research. More delays. I suppose I shouldn't have expected anything different. <laughs> I don't know. What? She's like, it would take a year to get a science for them to send a science vessel out here. Then you have the <laughs> flagship going. We should send a science vessel here now. And then she's like, more delays. <laughs> right. I just don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, they're basically saying send a science vessel to basically confirm it. And then the politics begins. And then, you know, it's all that kind of thing. I think it does indicate, like, if the if the universe is in danger, I do agree that it's like you're talking about down the line. Maybe we'll stop doing this thing that we may be damaging the universe everywhere. Don't the vessel appears to be later. intact. They have shields. But it looks like their subspace systems are out. Very well. We'll be underway as soon as our engines are online. Aye, sir. I would like you all to put together a research proposal for the Science Council. I will give it my full recommendation. Captain, I appreciate the opportunity you're giving us. It's beginning that we need it. Not we. You can do whatever you want, Rabal. I'll have no part of this. What? I mean, seems a little extreme. 
That's true, but she's right. It's just another delay. But also, she could have set the warp core to blow up without being on the ship. She's bad that is at science. A, that is an odd, odd, uh, an odd turn. I don't know. If she didn't. I guess you could argue that if you wanted to, you know, have some kind of uh, well, they were desperate idea. for dramatic stakes in this episode. Well, that's right? certainly. If you, it's certainly in the writers' room. It's just like, ah, no, we can't take that out. That's the only interesting thing that's happened thus far. But, um, but in terms of in universe, it could have just been that she thought, well, if I send it out automatically, then they'll figure out a way to stop it automatically. Whereas if I'm in it. And I can make sure that it blows up. Ay, ay, ay. Good. Helm laying a course for the Fleming. Aye, sir. They appear to be in pretty good condition. Our sensors show their shields are back to full strength. Captain, the Hakaran ship is moving off. There is one person on board. It is Sarova. Doctor, what is going on? I don't know. Captain, may I speak to her? Mr. Wolf, open the channel. Sarova, what are you trying to do? They wanted proof. She doesn't seem like she's flying a ship right now. I'm sorry. Captain, the Hikaran ship's engines are beginning to overload. I believe Sarova's attention... Also, like, you're so worried about this part of space being torn apart that you tear apart this part of space? Well... She's making hey, a hey, sacrifice hey. of this one moment for the rest of this the, but the universe. But like, she's gonna accelerate the damage in this area that she does not know if it can be repaired. And this well, area is near her fucking and and her brother even goes. Our climate is already up ten degrees. Wouldn't you argue that? Couldn't you argue that? Uh, even she's though sacrificing that, uh, that an entire planet to save. I, it doesn't make any sense. Well, you don't know that she's sacrificing an entire planet. I assume that they're distant enough from mind, that planet. She they're is distant the, enough from... Right. But but she's, she's the not. only one who thinks that there's a danger. If she doesn't do this, then... No, her brother thinks there's a danger as well. Uh-huh. And is going about it. And, you know, they both, you know, they get on the Enterprise. Then they get their, uh, you know, their shit scene. Uh-huh. Then Picard's like, this will have my full recommendation to the Science Council. Right. I get I get what you're saying. She's like, this is more bureaucracy. We're never gonna get this done. Yeah. I've got a I've got a I've got a tear apart space in this corridor, <laughs> which is near my planet, which is what I was trying to prevent in the first place. Right. Well It'd be it, like if I was like so worried about the oceans that I went out and caused the Exxon Valdez. Yeah. It's it's definitely a, a little bit of a, a terrorist kind of perspective. The well, yes, but it's also like not also you're not you're not she's not thinking about she's thinking of four ramifications later and not the immediate ramifications of what she has just done in that area of space. Well, I think that is sort of the point. She's the only one that's thinking four ramifications later. Right. So she's, she's thinking, thinking of it about both the negatives and the you know. And yes, I agree with you. She's. I mean, it occurred to me, too, that I'm like, this is a bad thing to do. You're the one who said that you couldn't do it. But it's kind of like they're not going to – it doesn't seem like they're going to see it otherwise. And I do think that there is an element of, like, I think we're supposed to connect the dots that they've already done the research. You can't prove it on a scientific basis unless the damage is already being done. And so she felt like the only way she could – 
get them there where, to the point where they're all on board is by doing the damage. So, side note. Create a, yeah. Uh, this spot was played by Tyler. There's been a lot of other uh, a lot of other spots. There's Monster, Brandy, and Bud. Uh, I gotta say, I think uh, Tyler is the best spot we've seen. Tyler joined the production late as the fourth cat who portrayed Spot. Tyler was trained by Rob Block and Karen Thomas Kolakowski of Critters of the Cinema. You should call Critters of the Cinema and see if yeah. they have maybe a great-grandson or a grandson oh. of Tyler and have yourself your very own Spot. Omar would devour him in half an hour. But Omar, he's got Omar does, Omar's not a fan of other cats. Regal acting blood. <laughs> <laughs> so you think he would be starstruck yes. if you let him inside? <laughs> like if you showed him this episode, if you sh- sat Omar in front of the TV, sh- played him this episode, and then brought the cat in. <laughs> Omar would be very disappointed that none of the other episodes had about a half hour dedicated to a cat. <laughs> Warp core breach. No. Prepare for impact. Every other time a ship's warp core is about to breach. Yeah. You hear something like, Worf, get a lock on her. Beam her back immediately. But in this episode, all we hear is, prepare for impact. (laughs) (laughs) I believe Sorova is attempting to create a warp core breach. No. Prepare for impact. She's very chill about it, too. I'm gonna say that was we are clear of the shockwave. That was one of Freaks's uh, less convincing uh, chair uh, shakes. Shake in the chair. Yeah. <laughs> Analysis: The event is approximately 0.1 light years in diameter, and it is emitting extremely high levels of tetrion radiation. It appears to be what Rabal and Sarova predicted—a subspace rift. She was right. Can you get a fix on the Fleming? Is she still in one piece? Scanning. The Fleming is near its previous coordinates. It appears to be intact, but it is now within the rift. Doctor, is it possible for a ship to survive in there? Doctor, I'm sorry about your loss, but we need your help now. Of course, Captain. Does the rift pose any danger to the Fleming? I don't know. What was that? Some kind of high-energy distortion wave. Looks like they're being generated from within the rift. If we maintain our current position, our shield should provide sufficient protection. What about the Fleming? How long can they survive in there? The waves are even more intense within the rift. I estimate her shields will fail in approximately 12 hours. Can we risk going in there to get them out? Not at warp, Commander. According to these readings, the rift is in a state of accelerating instability, which would make it extremely sensitive to warp field energies. If we go in at warp, we might expand it even further. I don't think we have a choice. It would take weeks to reach the impulse. I want some better options. Also, she could have um, set this fucking thing, Warp Core Breach, like a week ago without her being in it. And the Federation would have had to come investigate because of the corridor. Well, you could that argue that she... travel. You could argue that she was... Um, she wasn't doing that because of exactly what you're saying. She didn't want to cause the damage to the But then she decides to. 
because she feels like she has no other choice there she feels like well, they're not listening i would argue it's because there's nothing happening in this episode <laughs> that is indisputable that part is indisputable <laughs> i'm surprised they didn't have the brother go out and blow himself up <laughs> it's a subspace instability outside the rift there's only one way to close this and then, like, a shuttlecraft gets out. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Captain, I must. And then he closes it. Brace for impact. Scan of this sector. Again. <laughs> I'd like to get a closer look at this. In the meantime, we'd better tell the captain we don't know how to get to the Fleming. I'm not certain that is true. I believe I have an idea. I thought when he did when he left with this, he, we were going to cut to him training Spot again. <laughs> I mean, it would have been just as valid. I have an idea. If we move. can get Spot to hit this console, uh, it'll all tie together. Take sufficient velocity to enter the rift, beam the crew off the Fleming, and exit without using our warp engines. All right, let's say we initiate a full power warp pulse. How much time do we need to drop out of warp? If we field saturate the nacelles, we should be able to sustain warp speed for approximately two minutes. That doesn't give us much time. And it could get pretty rough in there. Our timing will be critical. Begin your calculations, Mr. Data. We'll go as soon as you're ready. Aye, sir. I believe the maximum saturation level should be 18 <laughs> Couldn't come up with anything to give those two to say to nope. each other to fill out the script. These parameters, <laughs> we should be able to maintain warp speed for two minutes, eight seconds. I don't think we can get any more than that. I agree. But based on the size of the rift, it should give us sufficient time to complete the rescue. Computer, initiate nacelle field saturation. So I don't remember if it's at this point. Is this basically a touch-and-go down warp, except it's like a touch-and-go up warp? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> pretty much. Um, yeah. I got nothing else to add. Oh, he does, um, he does start to get wistful. Bigger pardon? Yeah. How do we miss the connection between warp drive and the formation of the rift? Between the two of us, we've logged thousands of hours on these engines. We're supposed to be warp field experts. Certainly we're wrong this time. Technically, Jordy, we were not wrong. Sorova's theories rested on assumptions which were unprovable. Seems to me she managed to prove them pretty conclusively. By using methods any reputable scientist would never employ. There you go, Data. Yeah, but she also might have saved the universe. Should have listened to her more closely, Data. We reviewed Sorova's research to the best of our abilities. And we were prepared to continue studying the problem. But that was unsatisfactory. Yeah, I can remember times when I was a little stubborn, trying to get people to believe me when I didn't have enough proof. I do not believe you would have resorted to such extremes. But she had to, just to get us to listen. Well, that one time when I thought my mother was in a thingamajiggy <laughs> like six episodes ago, and I almost died. Remember that? I still believe his mother must be alive. Why was I so resistant? Perhaps because her aggressive methods created an adversarial situation. Yeah. Maybe I was taking the whole thing personally. I do not understand. Maybe I was a little threatened. 
the thought that warp engines might be doing some kind of damage. It's gonna take another half an hour for the cells to saturate. Will you call me when they're done? That's what, another the moment when he said it's gonna take another half an hour for the cells to saturate. Why don't we go work for a spot? I feel like that's what he went to do, but he couldn't find. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go improve the conversion levels on the uh, on the warp again. See if I can really beat that Kaplan. And join you. Uh, by the way, though, I uh, first of all, I think they both obviously have valid points, and I think they're both laid out really neatly, and. To a certain degree, I think Jordy is right. I think there is a there is a, a uh, trying to avoid saying the word blindness. There is a a myopic quality and a pig-headedness on the other side of the equation. Even though obviously I agree with Data that her methods were too extreme, and I I think it is. It's just a really interesting, possibly unsolvable issue that I think is rare for them to bring up in Star Trek. I really like it. I don't think it's as bad as the people who made it think. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm trying to tell myself that she died for what she believed in. But somehow that isn't much comfort. I wish it could have happened differently. Maybe I should have looked at the research more closely. It's possible there's something that I missed. No, you didn't miss anything. The problem was time. We needed more time to do the proper research. Sorova wasn't willing to wait. I guess the question is now, where do we go from here? I don't think we can look at space travel the same way anymore. We're going to have to change. I've been in Starfleet a long time. We depend on warp drive. I just don't know how easy it's going to be to change. It won't be easy at all. (laughs) I mean, unless we ignore it two episodes from now. We will be firing the engines at maximum intensity for 6.3 seconds before disengaging. Damage control teams are standing by on all decks. The course of the Fleming is plotted... Except for deck six. They demand coffee. (laughs) Hey, here's a Secundus theory. Uh, Andy's theory. Sorry. Um, uh, this is your this is your evil twins theory. Secundus's theory. Secundus's theory. Actually, <laughs> it is does make it just does this. My theory is that the Federation knew what they were doing to the universe, and they chose to ignore it intentionally. Andy's theories are very interesting because he's really smart. To what end? <laughs> Uh, so they could keep their warp. They could uh, just keep flying around the universe, be a, the, the biggest power. You know, not have their power questioned. And uh, well, you're operating under the guise that the Federation is in it for power. Well, Which they is, did ignore this danger to the universe and keep using warp. I ask you, what they were doing? <laughs> Well, you know, as Data said, it might not have even been power so much. I mean, just so much as the presence, you know, that's power. If you have pres, if you take away warp, you know, look at the look at Disco. You know, they cease to be relevant. But they're still trying to help. 
that ultimately is the Federation's goal. Yeah. I mean, unless they're trying to intentionally ignore the fact that they're destroying the universe to serve their own ends. You're so anti-Federation. The standing by, Captain. I'm Secundus of Borg is... They may be attempting to initiate their warp drive. They might have been able to repair their engines. Captain, if they activate I know, their... Mr. Data. Can we establish communication? I was at the briefing. <laughs> no, sir. Subspace interference is too high. How long until we reach transporter range? Let's not repeat ourselves now. I don't think we're going to make it. Captain, they have initiated their warp drive. Report. Damage on decks 6 and 14. Our structural integrity field is holding. Deck 6, we don't have the crews there. They didn't get their coffee. Fleming, they're badly <laughs> damaged, sir. Their life support systems are failing. All transporter rooms, prepare emergency evacuation procedures. Captain, when the Fleming activated their warp drive, the rift increased by 2.3%. We no longer have sufficient momentum to escape. Is Michael look out of focus there? Spiner kind of looked out of focus in that shot. Well, I mean, it's probably because the lens was set for the cat. <laughs> uh, can I ask an unrelated question? Yeah. To the, to the plot? Okay. Troy shows up in that one conference room scene, and then she's not on the bridge at any other point. Yeah. And I understand you can say mostly she's not needed. You could argue she's needed maybe in the Ferengi scene. But this question occurred to me. If she's in a... So it's like, oh, well, we don't need you up here. Go about your business. So she's in this in a session with a patient, and then there's an emergency. Is she just like, I'm sorry, I've, I've got to go, no matter what's going on with that patient? Yes. Yeah, that I is, think so. That is cold. What if that well, person's look, into some like, deep emotional shit, and she's like, I really, this is so awkward. It just feels like everyone is ignoring me for something more interesting. <laughs> I know this is the wrong time for me to bring this up, but I... I, I gotta get like up. I'm, the bridge is calling me. So what are you I'm gonna, talking about? I didn't hear anything so I over have the to, comms. I, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, I can sense. I can see. You know, you know my powers. I can sense it. I don't think you're sensing it. I think you just really want to get away from me right well, now. That's our time. Is, I, I know you're a senior officer and everything, but I, I, we're not even at yellow alert. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry. The last of the crew has been aboard, sir. All right, Miss LaForge, get us out of here. Yes, sir. That look they on Stuart's face did look like he was saying, now. get us out of this episode. I've got to go watch Red Dwarf. <laughs> You're taking up my time. I'd like to see a parody of sci-fi, not be in a sci-fi. And Mark. Engage deflector shield full power. We lost it. We were unable to maintain phase match with the distortion waves, sir. What went wrong, Miss LaForge? The speed differential was too high, Captain. Another distortion wave approaching. Impact in 26 seconds. Our hull stress is already critical. We can't handle many more jolts like that. Captain, I suggest we take the ship to full impulse. If we can attain sufficient speed, it will lessen the impact when the wave hits. Helm, full impulse. Head us out of the rift. Mr. Wolf, channel all available power to the structural integrity fields. Aye, sir. Stand by, deflector shield. We're ready, Captain. Distortion wave impact in five seconds. Engage deflector shield. Now. We are now within the distortion wave. Hull stresses have exceeded maximum tolerance. 
Kind of bad shaking by Spiner in that moment, too. Switching to backups. We're separating from the distortion wave. I'm attempting to compensate. How much longer until we clear the rift? Approximately 12 seconds, sir. Pulse stress is 120% above tolerance. A structural breach is imminent. Cancel red alert. We. <laughs> I will also say, I think the uh, the turn that the other ship fixed their warp engines and they can't contact them, and they're like, "Ah, oh, great, we'll just warp out of here." Uh, I think that was kind of a nice plot twist that heightened the drama. I agree. Heightened it too late. Three one four point five. We have been continuing our research while the Federation Council studies our preliminary reports on the subspace rift. It now appears certain that what we've seen here will have repercussions for many years to come. Our scans show a lot of subspace instabilities throughout the sector. If they're exposed to enough warp energies, they could eventually create other rifts. Dr. Rabal? Based on current warp drive patterns in this sector... It really felt like Dr. Rabal is just going to become a member of the crew now. It did, yeah. We've projected where subspace rifts will be most likely to be formed over the next 40 years. This is how things are now. This is how they'll look in 10 years. 20 years. 30 years. By the time Picard is airing on Paramount+. Plus. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor. Mr. Forge. Ah, we've received new directives from the Federation Council on this matter. Until we can find a way to counteract the warp field effect, the Council feels our best course is to slow the damage as much as possible. Therefore, areas of space found susceptible to warp fields will be restricted to essential travel only, and effective immediately, all Federation vessels will be limited to a speed of warp five except in cases of extreme emergency. But we can do so many more warps than that. <laughs> what are the we? Klingon. Captain Archer? Come on. We'll observe these restrictions, but the Romulans will not. I love, I love warps immediate, like, we got this. Klingons five. will totally do it. That is crazy. That is a crazy thought, right? He's being insane. The, the Klingons are never going to go along with this. Oh, look. It is not honorable to destroy space. But wouldn't the Klingons always be looking for an edge? I mean, I understand not as much as the Romulans and the Cardassians, but... Well, that's why he says that. Is he right, though? That seemed, it Look, seemed, seemed uh, like a... For, minimally, it seemed wrong for him to be that fucking confident about yes. it. Yes. <laughs> a lot of hubris there. The Klingons, though, are a great ally of the Federation at this time, and uh, yeah, it would be in their true. best interests. An emergency. The Klingons will observe these restrictions, but the Romulans will not. And what about the Ferengi? And the Cardassians, for that matter? The Federation is sharing all our data with warp-capable species. We can only hope that they realize it's in their own interests and take similar action. Putting limits on warp speed is... What about Australia? We're sharing it with everyone except the Kelpians. We don't like that. <laughs> From forming. What are we going to do about this one? Unfortunately, right now, there's not much we can do. The gravitational shifts have already begun to affect my planet's orbit. Our climate is changing. The Federation is setting up a... My sister has killed millions. Weather control <laughs> forces care too. It's only a temporary solution, but it should suffice for now. Our heart was in the right place. Place as far away from the planet as it did. It gives us some time to consider our options. 
If there are no more questions, you'll all just Wait, what did he say? So we're happy. Uh, at least it happened as far away from the planet as it did. It gives us more time to consider our options. There you go. It happened so far away from the planet. Well, gives them more time. But their climate has already started to change. I think he was saying before that. Nope. I think that's why they thought that something was wrong with the warp. Time for a. We should have a those to look out the window at the stars. Very well. You know, Jordy. I and I also I my life beat Kaplan finally with my conversion rate, sir. new worlds. I've met dozens of new species. And I believe that these were all valuable ends in themselves. And now it seems that all this while I was helping to damage the thing that I hold most dear. It won't turn out that way, Captain. We still have time to make it better. I was thinking if we moved the nacelles a little bit every time we went to warp. <laughs> All right. Well, that does that. And then that does this. Well, you know, technically... Uh it should be uh, the sister. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sarova. Yeah. She's the one who technically saved the universe. <laughs> um, or at least the galaxy. I don't know if it's the same in every every quadrant. Um, but uh, who would it be? Is it is it Data's the one who comes up with the surfing idea at the end, right? Yeah. Jordy's the one, though, that gets them out of there. What do you mean, gets them out of there? He does all the, you know, hard work. About, like, what? About, like, setting the deflector and surfing. Does he come up no, with no, who comes yes, up with the surfing? Jordy idea? does. Jordy comes up with that. Data oh, okay. only comes up with how to get them in in the first place. Right, Essentially, right. Essentially, Data puts them in danger, LaForge gets them out. But doesn't Data say maybe if we um, maybe if we hit the auxiliary? No, he says if we go to full impulse, impulse, then impulse, yeah, it'll have less of a bump on us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that sort of saves. Great, give it to Data. I don't give a shit. This episode's dumb. (laughs) You're really angry. I'll give it to Spot. I don't care. (laughs) You're really frustrated. (laughs) I'm gonna give it a split vote. If you don't care, then I'm going to take your vote. I'm going to give one to Data and one to Jordy. There Meh. you go. Great, great job, Andy. It's Thank a you. very efficient way, but we really have to go to Bootsy for the true MVC. <laughs> I wonder what, what Bootsy will say. <laughs> we sit and watch and then we hang and talk, but the podcast isn't over just yet. How many Andys does this episode get? I give it a 10. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't give it a 10. That's crazy talk. What do you give it? I give it a four. Uh-huh. Uh, it's That's got higher enough, than I would it's expect It's got enough from you. Uh, enjoyable moments, but it is below average. I have to put it at a four. I just can't. I mean... I like all the parts of this episode I enjoy on their own, but together I do not enjoy it. Right. And I would say, all the uh, in terms of... Uh, on, the, on the flip side, I agree with you about all of the critiques 
of the story, which I obviously saw myself. Um, but I enjoyed the individual things they were padding it out with, which is very unusual. Usually when it's padding, it's just like, ugh. And I'm like, all right, it's cat scene. All right, I'm interested in this Data Geordie stuff. Like, uh, I'm sort of on board. Like you were saying, the weird, pointless protocol <laughs> conference room scene uh, was entertaining. Uh, I don't mind the low-key episode. Uh, definitely has flaws story-wise. Um, but I also feel like they landed on a good theme at the end that they play out in a, in a relatively sound way. Probably I would be giving it a six if I was evaluating it just on quality, but I'm going to give it a seven on my experience of it, which was pretty good. So there you go. So Andy, you would have them watch this episode. I would. Nicely done. Let's take a look at the trailer for the next episode called Inheritance. Shall we? Why not? Confronts a forgotten past. I am your mother. I helped create you. A reunion that is shrouded in mystery. Data, why do you want to look at Dr. Trainer's medical records? Is something wrong with her? Now, will a father's message reveal the truth? I made a terrible mistake. Before both their lives end in tragedy. We're going to have to jump! Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh boy! Feels like they're more, showing us the ending there. More, more lore action. More lore, lore, more data lore. Not lore. I mean data. I mean lore about data. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Sung! You're so good at naming androids. <laughs> um, we'll see. Do you feel like sad. this is is is? Let me ask you this: Does does the general Trek uh, populace feel like this is a good episode or a dumb episode? I like this coming episode. Oh, all right. Are you talking about the the one where the next week's episode? Yes, Inheritance. Yeah, I like that episode. Yeah. yeah are you? you but what do you? How do you feel about uh, this week's episode? General populace of Star Trek. I'm curious, actually. I'm looking have, forward to our messages next week. <laughs> we'll find out. Send in um, your nails. Um. And uh, last uh, last week to sign up for the Patreon if you want that, uh, you want that McCoy figure, burdened? no box. <laughs> you want to be burdened with a McCoy figure? That is the way to do it, my friend. All right. That said, all right. you've all been pretty good. Andy's been okay. And I've been the worst. Thanks, everybody. So much. Brace for impact. Engage. Follow Star Trek The Next Conversation on social media. You can find them on Instagram and Twitter at Star Trek TNC. On Facebook, search for Star Trek TNC and join the face group. Send comments, questions, prime correctives, and anything else to sttncpod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to leave a voice hail, call 816-TREK-TNC. That's 816-873-5862. For callers outside of the United States, use country code PLUS1. And don't worry, no one answers the phone, it's only for messages. If you've got something to mail to Matt or Andy, send it to Andrew Secunda, P.O. Box 46898, Los Angeles, California, 90046. And please send an email to let them know that something is coming. Finally, to support the podcast and get even more content, 
visit patreon.com forward slash Star Trek TNC. Be a lieutenant for only $5 per month or join the President's Circle for $17.01 per month.